Greetings wherever you are in the universe and welcome to the latest episode of the Espresso Shot of Confidence, the podcast that explores all aspects of confidence, challenges taboos and unhelpful narratives and empowers you to be awesome loudly and proudly. It's time for yourself. It's time to grab a drink and settle in for the next however long this episode is. I'm your host, the master of awesomeness, Ashley Griffiths, and today we're going to be diving into the wonderful world of the mind. And who better to talk to about this than the awesome Paul Hill, the founder of Everyday Hypnotherapy. He supports everyday people through challenges in their lives using a mixture of hypnotherapy and neuro-linguistic programming. So a very good day to you, sir. How's things going? And to you, I'm always very um, pleased to be dealing with anyone that's going to call me awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the, You've got my vote. we're all about the awesome. There we go. We've sold. Sold. Yeah, that's the interview over. That's it. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. There we go. Nothing further to add. We're done here. Awesome. So, so Paul, could you just tell the listeners a little bit about, about yourself? Okay. Um, ordinary. <laughs> um, I, I'm, a, I'm an ordinary person with some extraordinary skills. Um, I use hypnotherapy, NLP, neurolinguistic programming, um, and a thing called the BLAST technique um, to help people overcome all sorts of traumas that they're having. My um, tagline in my business is turning your can'ts into cans and your don'ts into do's. So I help people turn their can'ts into cans and their don'ts into do's. It's pretty much what it says on the tin. I'm a bit like Ron Seal. I love it. Love it. A bit like Ron. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Boo, yeah. Just before we started, you, you, you said you you spent 25 years in a completely different role and then you switched into yeah. into this well, a, this world. So what inspired you to do that? I was a mortgage broker for 25 years. Thoroughly enjoyed it. and a load of money doing it. Uh, then a recession hit and my second divorce. And it all sort of spiraled. And I'd been aware for many years that I needed some help. But like most men, I was reticent to go and get the help because I'm a bloke, aren't I? You know, I'm bigger than the average bear. I'm tattooed. I, I, I'm obviously, you know, strong. Uh, yeah, physically strong, but mentally not as strong as I thought I was. Or maybe more importantly, not as strong as I hoped I was. Um, and various things happened and I sought help. Some of it was via hypnotherapy, NLP, various other things. And it got me to where I wanted to be. But it also encouraged me to learn more. Uh, so previously to becoming a hypnotherapist, I studied and became a sports and remedial massage therapist, which I loved doing. Um, but people were asking me for advice. People have asked me for advice since I was 15 years old. I thought, right, I need to find out if my gems of wisdom are actually gems of wisdom. So I thought, right, I'll become a counsellor. That's what I'll do. I'll become a counsellor. Um, and part of the counselling was to learn hypnotherapy for some reason. I still can't find out to this day why they did it. And then it was like there was that light bulb moment because I'd found out that I was good at something, really good at something for the first time ever. Uh, and that was it. And the turning point for me was I was talking to a business coach who said to me, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I do mortgages, I'm, I do will writing, and I do hypnotherapy. But talk to me about mortgages. And it was a conversation, but it was very monotone. Talk to me yeah. about will writing. Again, more monotone. 
He said, now talk to me about hypnotherapy. Oh my God, you see this, this, and we do this, and you can change this, and you can do it. And he said, what the hell are you doing with these other two things? You know, just yeah. bin them off. And I did. Best decision I ever made, other than marrying my third wife. Awesome, I just thought man. I'd put awesome. that in there because she might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just better, better make sure. Better make sure. <laughs> but it, it goes that way, doesn't it? I think then when you find that thing, whatever it is, that passion, it, it, you're that like the example you just gave there, you just get excited about it. You share, you want to talk to everyone about it and you want to help people or support people with it. Right. It's, it's such a shift. Yeah, it is. We met through networking and, uh, we have one-to-ones and I'm always at pains to say to people, please in the one-to-one rein me in. I'm not selling to you. I'm just so excited about what I do that I can easily overtake or take over the conversation. I don't mean to, but it's, it's that important to me that you learn. And I could, although I do therapies for people, I also like to consider myself as an educator in so yeah. much as if I educate you that there is a pathway for you to change your mindset, whether it be through hypnotherapy, counseling, whatever it happens to be, and you choose to use me, happy days, because that's how I make my money. But if you choose to use somebody else, happy days, because the most important thing is that you get the help that you need. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you said there uh, a few minutes back that, that men in general are a little bit reticent yep. to ask for that support. Um, I think I've read, read like so many stats that... You know, there's so many men that just don't ask for it. Yeah. They, they just think, won't ask. I think when we say little bit reticent, Ash, we're way, way dumbing it down. They <laughs> yes, are yes, we are. reticent about asking for it. In my own practice, 85% of my clients are women. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it, it pains me that there are so many men out there that they could find help they could find out really quickly they could find out really efficiently all the sort of things that men look for because we're problem solvers you want yeah. it done now you want they could find it if they just said i need help yeah but yeah. societal values about men's roles i mean they're changing obviously because you know we don't have the same things that there were in the 50s and 60s where the man went out to work and the lady stayed at home because you know, that's what women are meant to do. They're the nurturers, they're the baby makers, all this sort of stuff. Now we know that there's physiological differences, like men can't have babies, women can, but there's just physiological differences mm -hmm. with regard to intelligence, intellect, abilities, etc., etc. Bar a few jobs which just require brute strength, we're equals. Yeah. And women are really good at discussing things openly amongst their friends. Men not a chance yeah that's true that's true i was talking to uh chris wilson about this and he was talking about the lack of real good male role models and i know like on the the 19th of november is international men's day and one of their objectives um this year and, and, and in the coming years i'm assuming is to really promote this whole concept of empowering male role models people to speak up people to go first and say look 
I asked for help. And I'm good with that, you know, and I've made it a big point in my content to like, and I know you have as well, share your journey and share, look, hello, I'm a man and I can talk about my feelings and I'm good with that. Mm. But, you know, we still are surrounded by this, these, these narratives about what it is that a man is and what a man should do. When you said, like, put your hand up and ask for help, you know, why do you think so many men are not doing it? And, and, and what could they literally, what, how can we change that? It's, gosh, what a question, man. It's a fantastic question. And I wish I had a magic wand that I could wave to actually do it. Um, obviously, societal values are changing, but they're changing pretty much glacial. Um, mm. Women have found that for hundreds of years. We have emancipation of women in the early part yeah. of this century, and they're still fighting for equal yeah. rights. So what makes us think that men are going to all of a sudden go, I need help, just because we told them they need help? Yeah, There are lots of groups that are open up, like there's Man Gang, Man Cave. There's all of these groups that are out there endeavouring to put it out that it's okay to come and talk. And they're doing a fantastic job. And it will come. I don't know what the real answer is other than, for instance, the men that have had therapy with me going out there bravely and shouting, do you know what? I had Not about having therapy with Paul. I've had therapy. I've found something that's really helped me out and being brave and saying, this works. This stuff actually works. Mm. Rather than saying, oh, it works, but I just want to keep it to myself. A lot of the guys that I work with, they even though they've had great success, they want to still keep it to themselves because yeah. they don't want people to realize that they've had therapy. And I, to my way of thinking, that's a real strength. If you can say to someone... I asked for help and I received help when I asked for it. You're going to encourage so many other men to do exactly the same. Absolutely. There's still a lot of stigma around it, isn't there? Um, yeah. Still so much stigma about it. I, I read this stat on the male's uh, health forum about how still to this day, many men will not say take a day off or take some time off for mental health reasons they won't yep. go and get if their therapy appointment sits in work hours they're not going to go well no i can't i'm busy yeah. um and so many people are keeping it secret that they've gone through going through therapy whereas you know if they're actually able to put their hands up and say look i've done this you know it just has that domino effect doesn't it the, the more people yeah. that, that speak up the, well, the, the thing more is it, it normalizes it Let's say you've got somebody, a male in any job environment, normally he'll be scared of saying that I've had a mental health issue because his superiors will think that he's not up to the job. Yeah. My way of thinking would be, hang on a minute, you've taken time out to enable you to be better at the job. There's always a flip side. Totally. It's whether you're prepared to look at the flip side. You know, and a lot totally of employers that. put in place uh, things to help their employees which is you know assistance programs ring this number yeah. if you're in debt ring this number if you're having a, a mental health episode ring this number if you're doing that yeah. you need to go you need to do more than that i'm a mental health first aider and a lot more companies now are actually going to uh, mental health first aid england and saying right we realize that mental health amongst our staff not just men is really important so yeah. can you train 
some of our staff to be more aware of the signs that people are showing for poor mental health. And here's the thing, whilst I'm thinking about this, there's mental health. We all have mental health. Yes. Okay. The issue is if you put in mental health into Google, you'll have all these images coming up of depression, suicide, yeah. all this sort of stuff. No, that is poor mental health or poor mental fitness. Yes. It's not mental health. We all have mental health. Sorry, I do tend to think at tangents and need to get it off my That's, chest. Yeah. Go for your life. Uh, I think it's a very valid point. Yeah, so get these mental health first aiders out there. Train people up so that they recognize what's going on. And quite often, when you get someone who's trained in mental health first aid, that helps them overcome their problems because it's an education piece. Massively. I'm totally with you on that. And so I think a lot of the time, as society, we're looking for those sticking plasters. We're looking for those short-term yep. fixes. And if you think about the way everybody goes about their daily life, and I think it's such a valid point, I'm glad you brought this up, the whole concept around mental health, the moment you say that, you just assume that somebody's got depression, anxiety, dealing with some sort of trauma. And maybe having suicidal thoughts. But like you said, we all have mental health. We all have peaks and troughs. We all have high moods, low moods, times when we just can't be bothered to get out of bed uh, for whatever reason, whatever's going on in our lives. And it, it, it happens to all of us. But as society, we're always like, okay, so mental health. So that means we've got to make sure that our staff aren't depressed or anxious or going to like, you know, commit suicide so we need like here's here's an idea we'll give them a help number or we'll do a one-day training and that's it we've covered our backs and now the staff know all about it we're all good but it it's that's superficial isn't it it's just so superficial I mean, we need to be doing more do for someone is to allow them to speak up and know that they're not going to be judged yeah that's true ages ago i saw something on linkedin about this and people were like would you work with somebody if you knew that they had mental health issues and some people were quite honest with it and said well i'd have my doubts but that's that again is is part of the problem because a lot of people aren't speaking up because of that fear of judgment they don't feel safe to put their hands up and say look i feel crap because they feel they might get fired they feel that somehow people will start treating them differently I mean, how can we go about changing this? Education. It's all about education. I've come across it myself, people that are suffering from schizophrenia and the, their work colleagues think that they're going to be stabbed in the throat. What, what gave you that impression? Hmm. The television, the media, all this sort of thing? No, th th there's a mental health issue that can be really, really helped with a, dr a, a drug regime so that you wouldn't even know that people were suffering from it. Yeah. Who's going to say that they're suffering from anything like that unless they're very brave? Whereas if society just knew that mental fitness issues are around us every single minute of every single day, whether those fitness issues be good fitness issues or poor fitness issues. And here's the key to it. You might have heard I said good fitness issues or poor, not good mm -hmm. or bad. Yeah. Good or poor. And it's the language that we use. If I said to you oh, two words, I'm going to use two words now, and I'm going to pretty much guarantee you will know what the third word is, okay? 
So okay. the first two words are strengths and what's the third word? <laughs> weaknesses. Bingo. We all know strengths and weaknesses. You see, in my world, there are strengths and gaps. There's a gap in your ability, a gap in your understanding, or a gap in your training. If it's a gap yeah. in your ability, it's like I would love to run the 100 meters in under 12 seconds. Okay? Yeah. I'm 60 years old. Um, I weigh 17 and a half stone, and I haven't run for anything more than a bus in the last 10 years. So what makes me think that I'm going to be able to run 100 meters in under 12 seconds, even if I had Hussein Bolt training me? It's not within my capability. Mm -hmm. Now, if I was 16 years old and weighed about 10 and a half stone and was really fit and agile and a good runner, then there's a gap in my training or a gap in my understanding. Get Hussein. Come, Hussein, come on in, mate. Could you help me run it? And under Yeah, let's work on it. Yeah. There aren't any weaknesses. It's a gap. And if you change yeah. the language to a gap, it doesn't become such, oh, there's a gap, so I can fill that gap. Yeah, you can fill the gap. If it's an ability thing, maybe not. But if it's you're able to and we can train you and give you a better understanding, guess what? You can fill that gap. Yeah, I hear. So I think you see you see these kind of black and white narratives around certainly anything to do with mind, mindset, um, mental health, whatever. And you end up getting stuck in feedback loops. I know I've talked quite openly about this when when you're maybe in you maybe you are depressed at that moment or you are in you're, you're suffering from anxiety and it's very easy in that time to get anxious about the fact you're anxious or depressed about the fact you're depressed and see that there's no way out see that it's not possible to be happy and then the mind as well, you know, will then start looking for evidence of that. And you see all these happy people around, you know, well, I'm not and I could never be like them. And you get stuck in these these black and white narratives. But like you said, it can be shifted, can't it? Absolutely. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guys. One of the listeners will be able to correct me. Uh, I think it was Eric, somebody or other. I can't remember it. But. Uh, this is in the 1950s or 1960s, and he used this analogy. So for the, the people that aren't watching this, I'm holding up a coaster. Now, if we assume that that coaster is a fallow field, yeah? Yeah. Um, and it's designed as a field for things to grow on it. So I'm going to dissect that field, and on the left-hand side, I'm going to grow wheat. I'm going to grow a nice crop of wheat, and on the right-hand side, I'm going to grow a crop of deadly nightshade. Okay, in six weeks, the shoots for both of those plants will maybe be a couple of inches tall, maybe eight to 12 weeks. They're going to be maybe a foot tall. You see, the field doesn't care. The field's only job is to grow the seeds. So guess what it does? Yeah. It grows whatever seeds you put on it, whether it be deadly nightshade or wheat. Yeah. Your mind is exactly the thing. Same thing. It doesn't have that filter. It doesn't choose what you put on it. It doesn't choose the seeds, but whatever seeds you put on that field, it will grow them. Yeah. So when you put those seeds of self-doubt, when you put those seeds of self-loathing, when you put those seeds of poor self-esteem, when you put all those seeds on there, it will grow them. And the thing is, you won't even be aware that they're growing until they overtake who you are. Yeah. Make sense? No, totally.
<laughs> totally. I mean, yeah. I I often talk about this how sometimes we, as as humans, we won't be totally aware of what's going on inside, but our body is maybe giving us hints yep. <laughs> that that is like woo woo woo. But a lot of people will just ignore it, and especially like let's just we're going to go in on a sweeping generalization but i know a lot of men have done this so what a lot of men will do in that situation say maybe they're it's they're feeling a little stressed maybe they've got the symptoms of anxiety or depression immediately what they'll do is like okay well i'll just work more i'll go and i'll, I'll go get a beer so i'll do some drugs mm-hmm. yeah and but eventually, it doesn't matter how much you try to numb that. Eventually, it it manifests and it will show up, and yeah. it it comes out, doesn't it? Yeah, but it might not show up in the way you expect. It might be that you self medicated for years and years and years, and it's worked for you because it's it's given the world that rosy color sheen that you needed to. But what yeah. will happen is that you your physical health will suffer even yeah. more so because of it, and that will take you down a whole different mental framework a different mental landscape because you're now properly ill yeah there's a i remember i when i was younger i used to read things like the lancet i don't know why but i used to read the lancet and i remember reading the study and it's still valid today they say that in the western world 85 percent of people in hospital outside of road traffic accidents and falling off ladders breaking arms etc etc are there for what they believe to be called eii emotionally induced illness yes because the body will show the cracks. Yeah. Because it, you go back to the 1600s, you used to have mental asylums outside of the city walls because they thought you could catch it with bad humours in the air. Yes. Okay. But now we know that the synergy, the relationship between the mind and the body is entrenched like this. Oh, for sure. And you can literally, figuratively, think yourself ill i think it was um dale carnegie uh, the guy who wrote um yeah. how to win friends and influence people he did an experiment and I, I apologize if anybody's knows exactly what the experiment was but i believe it was he was giving a talk in chicago uh, at a hotel and he picked on a table of four salesmen uh we'll call them tom dick harry and ash <laughs> and he said to tom dick and harry right you've all come here together you all breakfast together. Tom, when you see Ash tomorrow morning, I want you to say he looks a bit peaky. And Dick, when you see him immediately after, I want you to say, God, you're looking a bit rough, Ash. And then Harry, when you see him, I want you to suggest that he sees the hotel doctor. So okay. Ash came down to breakfast that morning, full of the joys of spring, waiting to learn from the great man, Dale Carnegie. Those three guys did exactly what they were asked. By the time the third one had had the conversation, Ash went back to bed. Yeah. Because he'd been convinced by people he knew and liked and trust that something was wrong. And his mind took over. Oh, for sure. And it will. <laughs> Imagine you and I, are, we, we've gone on a cruise together, okay? And the captain says we're going to um, moor the boat, the ship, off of this lovely atoll of islands in the Pacific Ocean. It's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. Um, and we go on the launch to the beach. And we decide we're going to go for a swim. And we're both bobbing up and down in this lovely water, having a chat because we're mates. And the sun is shining down and the water is just the right temperature and it's, it's absolutely superb. And you can feel 
those waves lapping her over. You can feel it, and the sun. You can feel it, can't you, Ash? Yeah, absolutely. Now, just imagine that underneath our feet, we feel this wave. Something has just passed underneath our feet. And my toes are curling. Yours are probably doing the same, and maybe the people listening are doing the same. Yet you and I are at home. We're nowhere near the Pacific Ocean, but <laughs> your mind, that little subconscious bit of you, has just had something described not in perfect detail, but just in enough detail to make it that you want to lift your feet up, just in case, just in case that that wave that wave beneath your carpet is actually something nasty. If your mind can do that with a description of you and I doing a podcast where we're nowhere near an atoll of islands and we're certainly not bobbing up and down in the Pacific Ocean, imagine what it can do with real things in real time that are happening in your life and turning yeah. them into something horrendous. In a moment, in a matter of seconds. Oh, for sure. And and I did just lift my feet as you were talking yeah. about that. Um, it, it was funny. I mean, just totally different. I was talking to a student yesterday, and we were doing some creative creative writing, and we ended up talking about jaws, and we were talking about sharks and stuff, and we both our <laughs> physiology just changed as we were talking about it. You know, it was nuts. <laughs> As you were saying that, in my head, I'm hearing. It's true. That used to just terrify me. I, but the, but it's so true. I think the that that link between what you're thinking and how you feel is yep. so. You know, I know personally, like when when I've been in in some of my darker days and stuff, there's certain physical symptoms that show themselves. Yeah. And but it's you how go, you end up, you, yeah. But you end up you up to the doctor, symptoms. and there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah, you know they do all yeah. the tests and stuff. Okay, let's talk about those. You talk about um, anxious, anxiousness, anxiety. So, um, feelings of anxiousness. Mm. Um, generally speaking, I'm going to describe feelings of anxiousness and how they normally show out in the body. So, yeah, feelings of anxiousness: uh, sweaty palms, shallow breathing. Increased heart rate, um, a general feeling of queasiness in the stomach, mm -hmm. maybe not just sweating in your hands, excessive sweating in the armpits, um, everything feeling jerky. Have you ever been on a date? <laughs> not for a very long time, but yes. Okay, but you have been yeah. on a date, yeah? <laughs> yes, yes, I've been okay. on a couple, yeah. And when you were going on that date, I'm going to say that you were probably a bit nervous about going on the date, yeah? Yes. Okay. Um and you're walking to meet that person and you know, you've got that queasiness in your stomach and you've got the sweaty palms and the excess of sweating under the armpits and your heart rate is definitely up and your breathing, your respiration rate is definitely up. Yet we call that nervous excitement. Yes. The symptoms for the two are very much the same. It's yeah. the language that we use for it that makes it different. So if you're going to give a public, uh, uh, do some public speaking, you can call it, I've got these real bad feelings of anxiousness. I really, uh, 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 or I've changed the language. I've called it nervous excitement. Oh, yes. nervous excitement. I'm really nervously excited to do this. Ta-da. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's Changing a big the language. shift. So I love the, um, the anxiety model in uh, NLP. I often yep. use that 
with, with clients i've used it with myself and that because i always do i mean i've done i've lost count the amount of public speaking i've done and presentations and workshops and classes and stuff over the years but i still get that feeling in the stomach before i go in yeah. and i'm like i'm just buzzing i'm you know learning to think well i've done this hundreds of times it's always been good so i'm excited i'm excited about this so just Absolutely. visualizing that excitement about getting it done and seeing all that learning take place and all those light bulbs go off and it all of a sudden different different energy isn't it yeah i remember reading many years ago um autobiographies of um sir john gilgood and Lawrence olivier they were you know back in my childhood they were great actors well they're still cast great actors now you've got the 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 olivier awards um yes but they both suffered from terrible nerves terrible but these were actors that had had plaudits throughout their their careers they'd won just about everything the Velo awards oscars all sorts of stuff but they still had that thing and that's what kept them at the top of their game that was that yeah that, that frisson that nervous excitement and i heard i can't remember where i heard this but people assume that they need to be confident to do something and here's the thing, you don't need to be confident to do something. You need to do it because the feeling of confidence comes after the act of confidence. Absolutely. You don't feel confident about something you've never done before. Yeah. You feel confident after you've done it. You go, how many times have you done something, like your first attempt at public speaking or your first podcast, and you were th that nervous excitement, oh, what, is it going to be well received? Uh, am I not going to know how to press the right buttons? What's going to happen? And then when you did it, that's when the confidence came. From having yeah. done it, yeah. Well, I would say the the confidence came certainly if I use the podcast example. The confidence came by doing it repeatedly. Yes. Um, and here's the thing: the subconscious mind, the conscious mind learns from curiosity. The subconscious yeah. mind learns from repetition. Yeah, absolutely. I think the because I think you do get that that initial buzz, don't you? Like when yeah. you do something for the first time, because obviously when you do something for the first time. It's it's pretty high stakes. You don't know what's yeah. going to happen. You're you're moving into uncertainty. The mind has a tendency to start thinking through all the things that could potentially go wrong. Um, and then when you actually do it, and you look around the room, and you, you maybe you get that round of applause, or you're you're getting great feedback on on the workshop you've done, or whatever it is. And then you get that huge buzz that absolute buzz which kind of like goes oh, okay well that wasn't so bad <laughs> that's interesting that you there. to do it again right one of the things that was interesting you said there Ash, was your mind automatically goes to the things that could go wrong and here's something mm. that i want everybody to realize that is perfectly natural we have a natural negativity bias okay yeah. if you've ever been um had an appraisal at work and they call you in and say right ash You've done six months. We're just going to give you an appraisal. We've got 10 things we yeah. want to go through. You're okay with that? And you go, yeah, sure. No problem at all. Okay. And you ace nine of them. Nine of them. And they say, yeah. oh, just one thing. Point, point number 10. Uh, we're an American uh, owned company and they like the phone answered within three rings. Uh, yeah. You tend to let it ring for about five or six. Do you think you can work on that for us? And you're going, no problem. When you go to bed that night, what are you thinking of? The nine you aced or the one that you just need to work on? I'm thinking about the goddamn phone. Yeah. You're thinking about the phone. It's our negativity bias. And this is inbuilt in us. We have this negativity bias. 3.2 million years hominids, humans have been on this planet. Um, I think it's 200,000 years for Homo sapiens, the likes of you and I, the intelligent ape. But we, 
we, we've grown up in 3.2 million years in fear, in fear yeah. of pestilence, in fear of people raiding our grain stores and stealing our, our, all our possessions. So we've looked at a negative landscape for 3.2 million years. It's inbuilt on us. Add to that a little organ called the amygdala in our brains, which basically governs our fight and flight response. It's not a good recipe. No. It's not a good recipe, but here's the thing. You can work on your negativity bias. The negativity yeah. bias works to keep you safe, yes. but you can start working on it. So rather than like you were saying, but what if this happens? Then counter it immediately with, but what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? Yeah. Absolutely. Counter it immediately. Yeah, I always... What if it doesn't? What, what, what if she blows me out and doesn't, doesn't turn up? But what if she does? What if he blows me out? And does, but what if he does? What if that person does turn up? And what if that person turns out to be the love of my life? And we walk off into the sunset together and we get married and we have kids. There you go. It's the, the what if questions are so great, you know, because you can so easily switch them. Yeah. Uh, again, like you said, the brain, the brain naturally is there to keep us safe. So, yeah. you know, if you do say, for example, the you go on that date, there is the possibility you might get rejected. Yep. If you go on that public speaking stage, there is that possibility that you get laughed off stage. Yep. So you know the brain is trying to protect you, and 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 sometimes a lot of that protection mechanism it can almost seem kind of perverse and quite cruel with some of the yep. things that that get said. But again, it can be switched, can't it? Yes. It can be turned and, and, and used to your advantage. Yeah, because if it, if we weren't able to switch that, that, you wouldn't have comedy clubs. Yes. Okay? Because every great comedian you've ever spoken to will tell you the horrendous stories of when they got booed off a stage, where yeah. their jokes fell flat, where they almost had to run to get to their car because of the baying mob that had paid to see a comedian and turns out they were rubbish. They've all got those stories. It's yeah. just having that perseverance, that determination to say, it's an old Persian saying, this too will pass. Exactly that. This too will pass. And invariably, it does. So but getting true. up and doing it and doing it and refining what you do, it's like David Beckham. I watched a documentary about him the other day. And he is obviously a naturally gifted player, without a shadow mm -hmm. of a doubt. But you see the 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 um, video footage of when he was a little boy kicking yeah. the ball. He was kicking the ball like any other little boy. Yeah, he was just a, a Manchester United kid, but he was kicking it like any other little kid. But then he developed keepy uppy, and yeah. then he managed to do it for hours on end. Then he managed to put tricks in. But guess what? He failed at those tricks any number of times, but he kept yeah. at it. And then he kept it. And then it, it, well, you know the David Beckham story now. You know, there's not a single person on the planet I think that has ever witnessed football that doesn't know the name of David Beckham, like the For name sure. of Pele. But they all started exactly off that. learning a skill and honing it. For it's just sure. that he had a natural gift and ability along with that skill that took him to the the, the heights that he's at now. Yeah, I hear you with that. A lot of the time. A lot of people, they kind of coming back into your, your your tagline a little bit here, the can'ts and, and don'ts and won't be able to's and I will never's. A lot of people, 
what they see. So they see, say, a David Beckham or, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in the same breath as David Beckham. I'm going to own it. They see someone like myself on video and they see you where you are now. And there's that assumption that you've always been there. They haven't seen the fails. Yep. They haven't seen all the hundreds of hours of outtakes or the amount of times that he stacked it or face planted himself trying to control a ball. Yep. They haven't seen that. There's just that assumption that that is always the way they have been. And therefore, well, they're just so natural. I'll never be able to do that. I can't do that. <laughs> I remember, again, I can't remember who it was, but this, um, I don't know, actor, actress, singer, songwriter, whatever, uh, was proclaimed as an overnight success. And they said, yeah. it's really good. It's really amazing. It's taken me 20 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Go figure. But, 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 right. Take, take for instance, I was 25 years as a mortgage broker doing financial, yeah. all these sorts of things. It took me that length of time to find out that I was okay at it. I wasn't brilliant, but I was okay at it. But then things happened and I found, and then I found something that was more attuned to who I am and I'm good at it. Okay. Yeah. But that was 25 years of knocking around doing other stuff to find something that I was good at. Yeah, I hear you. Now, if you're lucky, you, it might be your first foray into it and you just find what it is that you're good at. Happy days. I wish I, I wish I wish I'd found, but you know, I say I wish I'd found hypnotherapy at that time. I really believe that what sets me apart from other hypnotherapists, and there are going to be other hypnotherapists that set themselves apart from me, is my life experience. Yeah, as well. That's helped me enormously in understanding and being empathetic to my clients. I was going to say that. I think it's so easy, isn't it? to say oh i wish i'd found it sooner but would you have been open to it definitely those not. years if if somebody had said to me 20 years ago that you would end up being a hypnotherapist you would regularly ask the universe for help i would have and i'm i i, I prefaced it that i don't wish to offend anybody this was my mindset i would have said take your vegan tree hugging ways and do one <laughs> Yes, I'm. I'm very much laughing with you there. Uh... That was my mindset at the time. Those things were. Oh God, you know, it's all from childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're responsible. Da, 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 da. Now I know. I've educated myself, and I know so different. And if I, if I, if I could go back to my 25 year old self, not persuade them to be a hypnotherapist, but just give them a little bit of an educational chat, I would. Yes. Oh, I, I hear you with that. I often think about some of the things that I said oh. like 10, 20, 30 years ago. And if I was able to put that, that youngster in a room with, with the older version, I have no idea what that kid would think. It's like, you, you, so you turned out to be one of those awkward plant eating people. Yeah. Yep. Yes, I did. <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, you know, I've always been a confirmed meat eater. My my version of, of food was if it didn't have a dead animal on the plate, then yep. it wasn't a proper meal. Yeah? Same. Same. Uh, I haven't become a vegetarian, but we now eat far more vegetarian options that we cook at home. And they are some of the most. I, the other day, I, I bought some cooked beetroot and it had a recipe on the side. And it was cooked beetroot, avocado, 
cashew nuts, a vinaigrette, and oh, what else was in it? I can't remember now. But I thought I'll give that a go. It was absolutely. I was licking the bowl clean. It was that. <laughs> it was that good. Now, if somebody had said to me, "Do you fancy a bit of a beetroot salad with some vinaigrette?" Twenty years ago, where's the chicken? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, what, what's that? Let's, let's, let's decide. Got a bit of bacon in there. Yeah, where's the main course? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly where's, where's the meat dish yeah. I so, you know, I, I, so but that's a mindset thing again that is another mindset thing so now we're you know I, i'm learning things about bulgur wheat that i never knew i, I even know how to spell quinoa <laughs> <laughs> good that's quite the skill that is but, but we but we're, we're always um, we're always in a state of flux, aren't we? We're always yes. changing. We're always moving. I think, and we often approach things again as if things are fixed, and things will Definitely always not. be this way. But we're always changing, even if we're not consciously aware of it, right? Yeah, growth mindset is what we're after, not a fixed mindset. Um, there's a book called Mindset. Fun enough, I think it's by a Dr. Zvek. And it's yeah. all about describing what your growth mindset is like. Um, and even though I work in the mental health industry, sometimes I revert back to a fixed mindset. Because I say to my, my, my customers that come and see me, if you do everything that I ask you to do 100% of the time, can you please come back and teach me? Yeah. Because we all fall off the wagon. You know, oh, for sure. I would love to say that I don't have negative thoughts. Of course I have negative thoughts. I'd love to say that I don't have my duvet days when I just want to lie in bed and do nothing. I have my duvet days. The difference is now they are so far. The distance between the duvet days is so huge now. It might not happen for years, whereas before it might have happened every other week. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you with that. Yeah, I think it's, it's that constant change. And I think, again, just pulling it back a little bit to mental fitness, to mental health. One of the reasons a lot of people don't reach out necessarily is because they feel stuck and they don't see a way forwards. They yeah. they're not sure, and and what happens, and unfortunately for a lot of men, is then they are making a leap forwards to think, well, the only way out is out, out, and we're seeing these shocking st figures. With, with suicides so for any men that are out there or for anyone really but but specifically for men out there that maybe right now are feeling a little stuck they're feeling like there isn't a way forwards that this is it this is the way it's going to be that they're broken yep. they're defective whatever language they're using right now you know what would you say to them um okay i'll, I'll ask you a question describe for me a picture for you, that would describe the saying "light at the end of the tunnel." How would that picture look? Okay. Somebody's painted now, if, it. What does it look like? Okay. Now, I'm going to say, if you'd have asked me that ten or fifteen years ago, I'd have said it was a rushing train. Right. Okay. But now, whereas I see, I, I see it much more positively. I see it as a, a glowing light. I almost see yep. it like disco lights. Yep, but you can see it. Possibilities of excitement. Absolutely. Yeah, here's the thing. 
every depiction I've ever seen of light at the end of the tunnel is a straight tunnel, and in yeah. the distance you see this glow, or yeah. as you just describe it, flickering disco lights. Yeah. What if your tunnel's got a right-hand turn? Mm. What if your tunnel's got a left-hand turn? What if it's got another right-hand turn? What if it's got another left? You're not going to see the light. The light is always at the end of the tunnel, but light mm -hmm. doesn't travel around corners. So maybe mm -hmm. you just need to carry on doing the things that you need to do because when you go around that corner, that's when you're going to see the light. The depiction of light at the end of the tunnel assumes that your tunnel is straight. Your tunnel <laughs> isn't straight. Love that. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. So when people and... say they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, yeah, they can't because you've got a right-hand turn that you've got to go around. You've got some stuff that you need to work on. You've got this thing. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you'll see it won't be dark. It'll be gray because light doesn't go around corners, but it still has residual. There's still, And then you go around the next corner. All of a sudden, you've got this blazing light at the end of the tunnel that you can go towards. What I would say to anybody that's suffering, it's really, really difficult when you're suffering to look for help. Yeah. Because your mindset isn't conducive to looking towards help. But I describe, you might have heard people describe um, mental health or very, very poor mental health depression, like um, being chased by a black dog. It's the, yeah. the black dog of depression. It's that you feel like you're being cornered by this snarling... Uh, my contention is this. When those feelings first start, the dog is the size of a chihuahua. And I apologize for any chihuahua owners out there now. And I promise you that no chihuahuas were hurt in this analogy. But when you've got a chihuahua, you can drop kick a chihuahua. You can drop kick a chihuahua over the fence. You can get rid of it because you know where this is taking you. If you allow that chihuahua to develop into a Rottweiler with its paws on your chest and it's dribbling in your mouth, that's when it's hard to come out. But when you feel, and it's always a feel, when you feel that thing coming on you, that's when you need to make the phone call. That's when you need to get in contact with a friend. That's when you need to get out there into the wide open, wonderful nature that we've got around us. Go for a walk, do whatever it takes. Get out and do stuff to help you before you go down that rabbit hole. And if people yeah. are listening to this, you know, sadly, the NHS shuts at five o'clock. I mean, if you went onto the NHS websites now and said mental health, the first thing that comes out is the Samaritans. Yes. Okay. There are organizations. There's an organization called Papyrus. There are organizations out there that have got 24-hour hotlines, non-judgmental. They're not there to give you advice. They're there to listen. And that's yeah. all we want. And one thing you're taught in mental health first aid courses is when people want to talk about suicide, you talk about suicide. Yeah. You're absolutely 100% open. And then you guide people to ways that they can help themselves maybe. But the most important yeah. thing is seek the help because there's lots of help out there. Yeah. There is lots of help. Sometimes it's a bit difficult to find it, but with the wonder that is the internet now, you put yeah. inside uh, the internet, I've got suicidal thoughts. And there will be a whole load of phone numbers that will pop up to help you. Yeah, that's that's the wondrous thing of the internet now, and the fact that there's more awareness and acceptance yep. and, and of this. The fact that right, okay, we've got this big problem. We need to do something about it. Yep. <laughs> there's so many different organisations out there. Um, 
you know, the Samaritans obviously mentioned them that they're available 24 seven. Um, and and I've, I know a few people that work with the Samaritans and a lot of people do reach out to them with, with the suicidal thoughts and, and they're trained to listen. And I want to just come back to one, one of the things you said there. A lot of the time when, when people do maybe say, look, you know what, I feel crap. Sometimes people then immediately go into defense mode or get out the cotton wool and wrap them up or, or end up like, yeah, maybe the lads would be like, right, let's go down the pub. Or they, they do a lot of things that actually are anything but what that person actually needs and that, at that moment, which is to feel listened to and to feel safe. So for anybody out there that may be... Yeah is hearing this maybe they are on the others that they have been trusted with this that someone has talked to them and said you know what i feel crap i'm feeling you know i've got these thoughts in my mind and i hate them and i'm scared you know what what can they do to best support these people some people it might be they just need to go down the pub and just yeah i don't know just have a drink and do it. but for the majority it's like what can i do to help what can I do to help you? How about okay. we sit down and we just discuss the thoughts that you're having? Okay, I'm mm-hmm. not qualified, but let's just discuss the thoughts about why don't we go into the internet? Let's sit down now and go on the internet and see if there's any help that we can find out there for you. I'll sit here with mm-hmm. you. I'll be here to listen to what's going on. And if you want me to stay and listen, then I'll do it. But just let's, it's, it's enabling people to find the help. Yeah. And feel that they're yeah. not going to be judged. And hopefully you've got the right friend to be able to do that. I mean, if you see people that used to be the life and soul of the party and then all of a sudden they've started to distance themselves, if you see people where their personal hygiene has started to suffer, um, like, for instance, cleaning teeth and just using deodorant, um, if you see people that have all of a sudden started to give away their worldly possessions, if you see people that when they say goodbye to you, you feel there's a finality in that goodbye, mm-hmm. you know? There's all these things that we as human beings are really, really perceptive creatures. If we allow ourselves to be perceptive. Yes. And when you see somebody suffering, it's just a, what, what can I do to help you? What is it that I can do? Do you want to, let's just go and sit down and have, let's go for a walk. Let's go grab a coffee. I've got a mate that I would really love you to to speak with because I think he's got a good handle on this. And never yeah. be afraid of saying to someone, mate, have you ever had any suicidal thoughts? Yeah. And and I found, like, on my personal journey, like, from the moment I opened up, there's a lot more people now that are, you know, that, that, again, it comes back to that what if. What yeah. will people think? What will they think? And there's only really one way to find out. That's actually by opening up. And, and I found for me when, when I was like in a mess back in 2016, when I reached out to the three people I reached out to, it just took the edge off. And they just listened. They didn't try to yep. heal me. They didn't try to cure me. They didn't try to fix me. They listened. And yep. they were there because I, I needed to know that someone was there. And that made me feel safe because I didn't feel safe within myself. And invariably, what I found is the people that you least likely think are going to help you 
jump out of the woodwork and people that you thought yes. would help you slink away. It's really quite, yeah. quite funny. I've got personal stories. Myself. I had a, I, um, I had a client. I'm going to name him. It is a guy called Mark Lee. Um, and I was a mortgage broker and I was going through a particularly bad spot in my life, a really bad spot. And I'd helped him out with a couple of mortgages and, uh, he knew that my financial situation was dire. He knew that my my whole world was collapsing, imploding on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'd become friends from a business. I'd done a couple of mortgages with him. I'd never actually yeah. met him by once. And then he was living in Fuerteventura at the time, and he said, you need to get away. And I said, yeah, you're probably right, I do. He said, check your email. I said, what for? He said, check your email. So I checked my email, and there were the flights for me to go and stay with him. It's making, it's making me emotional now. Yeah. yeah. And I put it on Facebook at the time, and a very good friend and someone who was an acquaintance, um, the acquaintance who I'd done in business, I noticed that was a, a sum of money that had been paid into my bank account, and we hadn't done business with each other for a number of years. And I rang him yeah. up and I said, you put up some money in my account. He said, yeah. I said, well, I've not done business with you. He said, but I've heard that you're going away and you haven't got any money. Well, now you have. And the next day a friend came along and you know, when someone shakes your hand and you, there's something in yeah. the palm of the hand and <laughs> yeah. there was, there was, there, there was a, a, a sum of money in, in 50 pound notes. And I said, I, I don't know when I'll be able to pay you back. And they said, that's not why we're giving it. And I went and stayed for a week with my friend and had a whale of a time, let go of an awful lot of baggage that I'd been holding on. And he's become one of my dearest friends. And this was, God, 15 years ago now, mm. 13 years ago. So there are people out there. You just need to let them know that you're going through because I've always been in a bullion sort of character. I'm always the life and soul of the party. Yes. You know, um, 52 inch chest, 17 and a half stone, <laughs> tattooed up to the eyeballs. Da, 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 da. A lot of the time it was a front. Yeah. And when I eventually asked for help, guess what? The help came. Yeah. I'm with you. Cause there's always you. somebody out there to help you, Ash. There is always somebody willing to put aside and help you. So, Phil J, that man, um, Mark Lee, there, and my mate Simon, Simon Pibus, is out there now. (laughs) The The recognition you guys deserve. It's just, they were turning points for me. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. It was amazing. I know that for me on my journey, that that yeah. the way that people come and they do support yeah. and they rally round you, and just the little gestures. Again, I suppose when you when your self esteem is really low, those little gestures that people make just really brings you in. Okay, so maybe, oh wow, they did that. So yeah. maybe what, there's, you a, know, there's a key thing, Ash, that you mentioned there. When you are, like, you're a confident chap, okay? I'm a confident chap. 
there's a difference between confidence and self-esteem. Oh, massively. Okay. You might be able to stand up in front of a thousand people and give a presentation, but that doesn't mean to say that at three o'clock in the morning, you're not curled up in a fetal position, crying your eyes out over your perception of yourself. Oh, yeah. You know, we've had all sorts of confident people. You take, like, Ant and Deck. One, yeah. they're both super, super successful. One yeah. wears the success and wears it well. The other one's been in and out of rehab. Yeah. And people were, I, I've heard people say, but what's he, got, what's he got to worry about? He's got a wife, he's got this, he's got money, he's got all this, he's got success, etc. But if he sees himself inwardly, that little yeah. child in him sees himself as a failure or I'm going to be found out, I'm an imposter, despite all the evidence around him saying he's successful, it's never going to work. He needs to feel it himself and his self-esteem yeah. needs to be brought up. Absolutely. I always describe it as like with anything, you need to shine that light inward. Yep. And as a society, we often look for external validation yep. um, first, as opposed to shining that light inwards and learning about what what we have that, that, is, that, that we can value. You know, and, yep. and other people might tell first. us that, you know, people might tell yep. us that we've got those things, but if you don't see it, it's in it's one the or the other. It's the analogy about the aircraft, isn't it? You've probably heard this before. You're uh, a seasoned traveler, international flights, and the steward or stewardess stands up and they do the safety brief. And at some point they will always say, should the aircraft decompress, oxygen and mask will fall down from the center console. To operate the oxygen mask, give it a sharp tuck down and then place the mask where? Yeah. Where? Well, where they ask you to place the mask first? I, well, you, for you, before because? you put it on anyone else. Why? Why? What, so that you don't pass out? So then you can look after your kids or whatever. Because if you pass out, you can't help them. Yeah. It's about self-care first. Yeah. You know, people quite often worry about what other people are thinking about them. In fact, they think about it all the time, and that's one of the biggest causes of upset is what other people think about us. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the question I ask my clients. Who's the most important person in your life? Okay, so I'm going to say me. Yep, and that's the correct answer. Who's the second most important person in your life? Um, that would probably be my niece. Okay, your niece. Okay, so what time did you get up this morning? Uh, 6.30. 6.30. So yeah. approximately almost six hours now you've been awake. Yeah. How much time have you given over to thinking about nothing by your niece? You know what, today I haven't really spent much time thinking about it because I haven't seen okay, exactly. it. But so, yeah. So here's the thing. The most important person in your life, other than yourself, you've not given that much thought to. Yeah. I'm here to tell you, sadly, that you're not that important in anybody's life either. So when yeah. you consider that the people that you want to think about you aren't, so the people that are outside of that group, they're not thinking about you at all. So why are you worried about what they're thinking about when they're not thinking about you? Yeah, I hear you with that. I, I've said that so many times to like clients with videos. They won't yeah. get on because what will people think about me? Well, yeah, they won't think like, anything if you don't show up. <laughs> I do a lot of um, people that have been bullied in their in their youth. 
And I said, the thing about this is, once someone's bullied you, do you know what? They don't think about you after the bullying exercise. Yeah. Yeah, you're thinking about them constantly. And that's what gives them the power. Yeah. I remember saying to my daughter, she was having a bit of verbal bullying at school. And um, she must have been about, I don't know, 12. I said, what What you do then? You, you don't shout and scream, but you have to make certain that you've heard the bullying. I said, yeah. She said, yeah. I said, then you go up to the bully and you say, thank you. Yeah. She said, really? I said, yeah, you go say thank you. Because they will say, what are you saying thank you for? And you say, here's the thing. If you say something nice about me, I'm in your thoughts. I've just heard you say something really nasty about me, which also means I'm in your thoughts. You, however, are never in mine. Oh, yeah, that would disrupt. For <laughs> sure. Because that's what the bully relies on. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like that terror, isn't it? Um, that being always being present. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. It's funny you mention it. I saw somebody the other day that that used to be part of a group that, that I got bullied by. And I'd often thought about how I would react when I saw those people when I was older. And it was all happy smiles. They were like happy to see me, you know. And I was like, this, and it was just such a light bulb moment. It was yeah. like, that. that's just on me. You know, yeah. like what I'm thinking, my perception of it. They, if they, they probably have never, probably didn't even think they ever did anything wrong. No, absolutely. And we carry this, these, this baggage around with us for so long. Mm. And sometimes it is difficult to get rid of the baggage. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things that I'm particularly adept at with people is being able to show them that they can release the baggage because the event when you got bullied, okay, mm-hmm. it might have happened over and over again. But the event itself was just the event. Yeah. The emotion that you attached to the event is what's caused the issue. Yeah. So if you can alter the emotion or remove the emotion completely, then it just becomes an event, a part of your life's rich, varied tapestry, rather than something that you focus on. Absolutely. And yeah, like I said, it was just a very empowering moment. Here's the thing: who was in control at that point? Oh, I was completely in control of that. Absolutely, sure. you were in control up until that point. You were out of control. Your subconscious yeah. was doing whatever. You were out of control because of the bullying episode. And then all of a sudden, confronted with the bullies who were the same height as you now, they've aged the same as you, and you just think you're just a normal bloke. And they weren't aware. And you go, "Hello, mate. I mean, God, how long has it been?" Yeah. And all of a sudden. Whoa! Happy days. Yeah, exactly that. It was yeah, it was it was quite the moment. But on that note, we we are reaching uh, our time to run off into the sunset. So speaking of support, if there's anybody out there, any listeners out there right now that are looking for support, um, how can you help them? Uh, they can obviously see me as a client, um, or I can point them in the right direction. Because for me, and it, you know, it sounds like I'm being trite. I'm not. I believe in abundance. If I can help someone, I will. If I feel that I can't, then I'll point them in the right direction because I know many therapists, many people that I believe and trust. For instance, um, I've there have been members of my extended family that have needed help. Have I been able to help them? No, because they're too close to me. So I will point them in the right direction as someone that can help them. Okay. Um, so if anybody wants to get in contact with me, they can. 
if they want to ask me my advice on where to go, I will give them the advice at a moment's notice. Awesome. Awesome. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, probably well, one or two way, way, ways. My phone number, which is 07-557-668-729. Um, I don't have office hours because my belief is that mental health doesn't have office hours. So therefore, yeah. I don't have office hours. Or my um, email address is paul at everydayhypnotherapy.co.uk. I really should change the name really to something a little bit like, so people don't have to go, Paul at, blah, 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 blah. oh, have I spelled it right? <laughs> have I done this? I didn't, think, I, didn't, I didn't think when I was setting the company up, I just thought everyday hypnotherapy, that sounds cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I did so that my first contact, um, And people can, we can Zoom. I work internationally, nationally uh, and locally. Uh, they can zoom and um yeah it's the one thing the, the the worst possible outcome is you just have a pleasant conversation okay that's the worst that someone can have from ringing me up it's a pleasant and, conversation and that is a is a, a truly fantastic worst outcome all the links uh, to get in touch with paul will be in the uh show description notes so just before we ride off into the sunset um i'm going to ask the question that i always ask yeah. Um, our guests here on the show and that is what is your espresso shot of confidence for our listeners the espresso shot of confidence would just be language language concentrate on the language that you use for others and the language that you use for yourself more importantly and it's it's yeah. Quick example. Go for it. Right. Many of my clients that might listen to this will have been told this. So your niece, how old is your niece? Six. Six. So you've um, got your new beige carpet and you've got your 1970s coffee table. And what's your niece's name? Uh, Ava Lily. Ava Lily. So Ava Lily's got her glass of Ribena and she's perched on the edge of the coffee table. And you say, Ava Lily, honey, can you just move your cup, please? Because you're going to spill it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what happens. She spills it. <laughs> Now I'm going to pick on two S words um, that you might use for Ava Lily's behavior. You might have said a six letter S word beginning, it's uh, stupid. You might have said, oh, that's really stupid. That's a stupid thing to do. You're a stupid girl. Or you might pick a five letter S word, uh, silly. Silly girl, silly thing to do. So here's the challenge. I know you're a naturally smiley guy, Ash. So I want you to think of something that makes you happy. Got it? Okay. Yep. Okay. Now smile, thinking about it. Now try saying stupid. <laughs> yeah right okay now think of something that really irritates you um and, and frown okay yeah got it right now try yeah. saying the word silly silly yeah absolutely doesn't work, does it? silly by its nature is a smiley word so yeah. if we have imbued two very small words with such strength that one we can't say when we're smiling and yeah. the other is really difficult to say when we're frowning. Imagine yeah. words like catastrophe. Try yeah. saying catastrophe with a smile. <laughs> yeah. It, it, does, it doesn't work. Murder. You take, for instance, the, 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 the happenings around COVID. Try saying lockdown with a smile. Lockdown. Doesn't work, does it? <laughs> it just does it, just the tonality just sounds it stupid. Exactly. It sounds ridiculous. When, when Bojo was up there talking about it and they were saying that we're keeping you, this is a period of safekeeping. I'm screaming at the television, going, well, then call it safekeeping. 
But safekeeping isn't going to keep you indoors. Lockdown yeah. will. So when I say language as the espresso bit, it's just yeah. choosing the right language, like strengths and gaps as opposed to strengths and weaknesses. Love it. Something's good or something's not so good rather than something's good and bad. Okay, got it. Got it. Awesome. awesome. Make sense? Perfect. Just modify the language. And the more you practice it, as you said, the more you learn it, the easier it will be to go, what did Paul say? Oh, yeah, don't use, let's choose the right language for my mental health, my good mental health. Love it. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely awesome. It's been amazing, Ash. Thank you. And thank you so much because we were meant to be doing this an hour and a half ago, but I got stuck in traffic and you very kindly postponed it to enable me to do this. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the people that are listening. And if they, if, if as a result of this conversation that we've had, it encourages men and women, but more especially men, because that's what the focus was today, to go and find help. If one person, as a result of this, goes, I'm going to go to my doctor, or I'm going to go this, I'm going to go and find some help, then this was worth the hour and a bit we spent. Most definitely, sir. I couldn't agree more. So on that note, it's uh, the end of the show. So thank you so much for listening wherever you are in the universe. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this to get notifications of when the next episode drops. And in the meantime, as always, wherever you are, don't forget to be awesome.